G'day and welcome to episode 4 of Homestyle Green. This is the podcast about building a sustainable home without it costing the earth. My name is Matthew Cutler-Welsh and I'm the host of Homestyle Green. You can contact me at comments at homestylegreen.com. And uh, yeah, do head on over and check out our, our website there at homestylegreen.com. And it's got contact information there. And I'd really love to get some comments about the show. Uh, anything you like, quality, uh, technical details of the show, but also, and, and probably more importantly, questions that you might have or ideas for future shows. Really happy to get some guidance on what are the hot topics or what are the key issues that you've got that you'd like to know about in terms of living green or, or building or uh, creating a, a more healthy home. Because uh, if I don't know the answers, I know people that undoubtedly will know the answers and I'm really excited to uh, get some questions in and go and find the right people to interview to address uh, key areas. Um, And also just uh, a point about the podcast, please do also uh, subscribe. It uh, makes life a little bit easier because you you get the next uh, episode delivered straight to your device. So just to make that life a little bit easier, click on the little subscribe button in, in iTunes and then you'll always know that you've got the, the latest episode of Homestyle Green. Right, let's get into uh, heating. Now, when I um, sat down to think about what, what we should cover next after insulation, there's probably a few things that ideally would fit in the gap there and they would be things like uh, drafts and making sure that we don't have any excess sources of, of moisture creating dampness in the home. Uh, but I figure we've, we've got plenty of time to cover those sorts of things. And and heating, I think, is something that always uh, people ask me about. And I know there's some some key uh, questions in there, uh, big concerns. I guess because it's it's a big spend. Uh, it can be a big spend. And uh, in fact, I, I've just done a, a calculation recently on my own home, which was quite illuminating. And I, and I hope I, I'm going to recheck that and uh, and then share it with you uh, shortly. But essentially, I was weighing up the options of do I go for central heating or do I buy a, a heat pump or, or a reverse cycle air conditioner, depending on, on where you're listening to uh, this from. Um, uh, you know which which is going to be the more expensive, and and I think in so many so many times that is the key question is what's the payback or or um, what's the cost benefit and energy advisors, sustainability assessors, uh, whatever they're called, often struggle to answer that question and come up with lots of excuses about oh well it depends on this and it depends on that and it's very situational and that and that is all true, it is very situational and there's some big assumptions, um, but. I understand that in most cases people do want to want the bottom line. The bottom line in this case, by the way, was um, different from my from what I thought. So uh, I, I'm very interested in that, and like I say, I'm keen to uh, to share that analysis um, uh, in the future. All right, so heating. Let's break out uh, heating. We'll break it down to two main areas. One is individual room heating. The other is central heating or um, whole home heating, if you like. I thought today we'd, we'd start with uh, individual room heating and just cover the general, um, the, the basics of, of the different types. 
So we've got, uh, what have I got here? Four or five main types. Uh, they are electric, gas, uh, solid fuel, and then I've, I've separated out uh, heat pumps or air conditioners from electric, and there's, there's good reason for that. So let's start with the old electric heater. Now this in itself is a, is a huge uh, category. It covers everything from radiator heaters, fan heaters, uh, what we call oil column heaters, uh, even heat lamps, even things like towel rails or cupboard heaters, um, and also ceramic or panel heaters and infrared heaters. Now these all have one, one main key ingredient in common and that is their efficiency, which is 100%, or thereabouts. You could argue in some cases it's um, maybe 90, 90% or something like that, particularly for fan heaters where some of their power is, is consumed in the fan and, and forcing that air. And, and you can the fact that you can hear it is a good clue that it's not 100% efficient because some of that energy that's going into it is being converted into sound or some other uh, form of, of energy. So, the, the yeah the key ingredient there is is from a cost point of view, what you put in is what you get out in terms of kilowatts. And we, we've talked about kilowatts before. Kilowatts is the main currency for energy flows. So kilowatts uh, kilowatt hours are what you build on your electricity or your power bill, um, and that is simply the the, the kilowatts times the length of time or hours that you have that device on. So if it's a uh, two kilowatt heater, that's two kilowatts and you have that heater running uh, with no con other controls, so it's not a thermostat controlled heater, then it will be consuming two kilowatts and if you have it running for an hour, that's two kilowatt hours. And if your power bill, if your, your rate electricity rate that you're on at the moment is say uh, 25 cents per kilowatt hour then obviously that cost for providing two kilowatts to your room is going to be 50 cents which is just two kilowatts times 25 cents so very very easy from a uh, modeling point of view particularly if it's like i said a, a not non-thermostatically controlled uh, that's a simple way of saying doesn't have a thermostat or doesn't have any means of regulating the output uh, by itself it's just when it's on it's on a bit like a toaster or a, or a jug when it's on it's on uh, does its job turns off um, so the key there like I said what you put in is what you get out now the um, things like oil column heaters they do have a thermostat or they um, so and and you can often hear them clicking on and off and that's the thermostat because you set it and it's not very common for those ones it's not a very um it's not a very uh technically robust thermostat and some don't even have numbers it might just have a um a sort of a diagram so you're not setting a temperature per se on those it's just a a, a relative scale of high low medium uh, and whatever it might be, um, which kind of makes it a little bit hard to measure the exact uh, cost of 
that or, or at least model it. You can measure the amount that it's on by by putting in a uh, a meter in the wall and that's actually a good way of figuring out how much it costs to run one of those units. And I can put a, a I might put a link in the on the website to some good power meters that I would recommend if people are interested in doing that because you don't have to measure your whole house when you're doing some power metering but uh, and we'll be good to talk about that in a future episode but um, it's just good to know uh, kind of how your house behaves or how individual rooms behave and that's a good way of doing it. So what else we got there? Our radiator heaters, bar heaters, look, they're, they're all the same in terms of what you put in is what you get out. There are some differences in the effectiveness of those heaters. Not necessarily the efficiency, but the effectiveness. So the key difference between a things like a glowing uh, bar radiator, um, which aren't as common these days, but um, certainly people like them, and the reason why they like them is something that we we touched on when we talked about heat transfer and it's all about that radiation heat as human beings we love radiation heat we don't love radiation uh, bad radiation from the sun but we do love good radiation from the sun i.e. we we love sitting out and feeling the warmth of the sun on our skin and that's the same for in our lounge rooms. That's why we like open, well, one of the reasons why we like open fires. And it's certainly one of the reasons why we like glowing uh, fires because they give that direct instant warmth that we can feel on our skin. And that's a very different kind of heat and it's a different kind of feeling from just walking into a room that has warm air in it. So that's one of the key differences between, say, a, a radiator heater electric radiator like a bar radiator heater versus a say electric fan heater or even an oil common column heater one's working one's relying on convection one's relying on radiation so um, like I said that's that's all more about effectiveness at the end of the day they still cost the same for the amount of energy that they're actually putting out um, one of the reasons we use things like uh, what um, radiation radiator heaters in bathrooms, and this includes uh, heat lamps because essentially they're a, a very small, uh, small in terms of size, but they can be quite large in terms of output. Uh, they're essentially a, a radiator heater; those heat lamps, and you feel those instantly. And that's one of the properties of radiant heat is that it's it's instant. And we don't want to spend a long time warming a, a bathroom up. We want it warm as soon as we go in there. So that's why those heat types of heaters are, are good in that situation. Um, I do. I'd want to quickly mention infrared heaters and, and also ceramic panel heaters because uh, it's interesting. Some of these often get marketed as uh, being very eco, whatever that means, whether it's economical or. Uh, ecologically friendly I'm not sure and I think that there's probably a um, a little bit of a play on the fact that that's not very defined the the old eco term um, it comes back to what I've said a few times already what you put in with an electric heater is what you get out a electric heater is no more efficient than any other electric heater. So if, if an eco, sorry, if a heater 
says that for some reasons it, it's eco. Um, that may mean that it has some a thermostat on essentially, or it may it may have some good controls, uh, and so it may indeed costs, for example, uh, six or eight or or ten cents per hour to run. But at that rate, it won't be outputting a full, say, two kilowatts if your power rate is, is uh, 25 cents per kilowatt hour. It'll be regulating itself and, and, and uh, providing a lower ambient uh, temperature or a lower uh, output into that room. So just be wary of that. And um, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't call it snake oil, but there's a... There's certainly a bit of a play on that eco word out in the market space. And at the end of the day, if it's an electric heater, it's an electric heater, um, whatever shape or form it's in. And you can't get any more efficiency out of that unless it is a heat pump or, as uh, it might be called elsewhere, a reverse cycle air conditioner. Now, I don't want to go on too long about... Um, heat pumps and air conditioners but essentially it's it's a refrigerator working backwards so whereas a, a standard electric heater has an, an efficiency of 100% as in what you put in is what you get out a good heat pump these days are getting up to around um, three to four hundred percent potentially even higher than that on a theoretical basis now because saying something is more than 100% efficient doesn't actually make technical sense, although we use that in, in a sort of a marketing uh, fashion. The, the other term that you might see is coefficient of performance. A coefficient of performance is simply uh, the, that efficiency um, written a different way. So a Efficiency of 300% translates to a coefficient of performance of 3. And essentially that's saying you put in 1 kilowatt of electricity and that device can provide you with 3 kilowatts of energy, uh, heat energy, into the room. So obvious question is how does it do that? Well, the key is where is that energy coming from? A electric heater... We're going back now to a stand electric heater. Works by heating uh, electric current passing through a usually a, a coiled up piece of wire, um, and that wire vibrating really really quickly and um, heating up. Exactly the same as the filament inside a light bulb, and in fact that's why a light bulb, a traditional incandescent light bulb, is so inefficient, is because uh, it's essentially a very small heater. Um, also happens to produce light as a as a kind of a byproduct. That is essentially how an electric heater works. You put the electricity in, all that electricity turns into a, a vibrating piece of um, wire, coiled around and around and around with big surface area, um, and heats up the air around it, or heats and heats up the metal. On the other hand, a heat pump or a reverse cycle air conditioner, like I said. Re- works on the same principle as an air conditioner. So there's a, what we call a Carnot cycle, um, which is a fantastic cycle. It's just brilliant from an engineering point of view, and I highly recommend anyone who's at all interested in um, the, the science behind that, go and check out uh, Wikipedia or do a little bit of research and look, look up Carnot cycle because it, it 
and I might I'll put some links to that on the uh, the show notes for this episode as well. Um, but essentially, it's the best way to describe it is the same effect as when you are pumping up a bicycle tire with a with a hand pump. And when that happens, when you do that, the pump heats up. And this is one of the the um, the laws of physics. If you have a a volume of uh, fluid like a gas, and you 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 squeeze it at the same um, you squeeze that same volume into a, a smaller space, it will raise the temperature. So by squeezing a gas, um, you increase that temperature. And then, the, the, of course, the, the converse for that is when you expand a gas, it cools, the, it cools the um, the gas down. So that's a bit of a clue as to how air conditioners work when you um, expand that fluid. So what um, the the clever bit of a heat pump is using a special fluid, which is the what they call the refrigerant, that goes around in a closed loop. Uh, and starts off at the ambient temperature of whatever it is outside, and it so it, it um, the the key is to get that fluid initially lower than the ambient temperature outside. Um, this is in a, in a heating cycle that I'm I'm talking about here. So what happens to something that's colder than the ambient temperature is that that fluid can then absorb heat from the air around it, in this case the outside air. Uh, now these refrigerants are selected for some special thermal properties so that they can actually get to um, quite a low temperature and in most cases in most temperate zones like here in New Zealand and Australia and places of similar latitude in the, in the northern hemisphere, that can be quite low because even at uh, even at zero, there's still some some warmth in the air. In fact, uh, 273 degrees Kelvin. So we've got a long way to go before we get before we hit absolute zero. So there, even on a cold morning, there is still ambient warmth in that air, and that's the the secret uh, behind a heat pump: how it draws that heat in from the outside air and it does that by lowering the temperature of its own refrigerant so that that refrigerant can then absorb heat from the outside. Um, but that's only the first part because if you're drawing that heat in and that maybe heating heating that refrigerant up slightly from um, say a couple of, to say a couple of degrees Celsius that's not much good if you want your indoor temperature to be 18 or 20 degrees Celsius. So what do you do? Simply you squeeze it. And that's why the, the that's this is the process that goes on in, in the outdoor unit of a, a reverse cycle air conditioner or split system or a heat pump. That, that big unit is uh, a big heat exchanger and it's a compressor. So once um, the fluid has gone through lots and lots of coils again with using lots of surface area to collect that ambient heat from the outdoor air. The gas or the fluid then gets squeezed, and with that, the temperature of that fluid goes up. And once it's uh, warm enough through that process, it can pass over a heat exchanger, and the indoor unit. 
uh, of the heat pump is basically a, a heat exchanger and it just moves air from the room over that heat exchanger which now has the hot fluid in it and that warmth that energy is transferred to the heat from the room uh, in, inside the room and then the fluid is free to go back outside again and uh, the the process repeats itself starting with expansion so the the now uh, warm but but slightly cooled air from the inside uh, expands and gets cold again colder than the ambient temperature outside so it can it can cycle around like that so in all of that uh, and it does it might, might sound a little bit complicated so I, again I, I recommend if you are interested in that definitely go and check it out because there's some really good diagrams online to explain that process but that is essentially the secret to why a heat pump or a air conditioner can perform at such a higher efficiency or, or a coefficient of performance that is much greater than a standard electric heater. It's because the electrical work isn't actually being done to heat up the air directly. All the electrical work is, is doing is essentially um, turning a fan, or turning a couple of fans actually, and the the main bulk of the work is is on a compressor and a compressor is just a motor running on a on a sort of an air pump so that is uh doesn't consume as much electricity as heating something up directly so that's where the the power savings come into play and of course the advantage of that for a lot of people particularly in these temperate zones where you have um cool winters but also warm to hot summers is that you simply reverse that cycle hence the name reverse cycle and you end up with an air conditioner to cool the room down all right i think i've gone over heat pumps probably uh longer than i i needed to there um but i quite like the heat pumps just because it's it's such a uh, fantastic um use of of basic physics of uh, and fluid dynamics um stepping back into the realm of the much more simple uh we have solid fuel now solid fuel heating this uh we're talking here about uh, log fires even open fires possibly even coal um but also things like pellet fires or um uh well yeah pellet fires which are essentially um fires that are custom made to burn special uh, engineered timber or little, little pellets. And there are some, some mixed mixed use, um, oh, sorry, well, mixed fuel burners as well that can accept a range of different, different fuels. Cover off open fires first. Uh, my key bit of advice there is, is um, don't use them. And if you've got one, then start looking at how you can plug the gap and um, put something in its place. Open fires uh, are essentially a big hole in your house and um, some open fires are great. They're obviously a very romantic idea, been around for centuries. Uh, worst case scenario for an open fire can actually be that it can, it can cool the house down because what can happen is that you actually set up such a good cycle with the air, hot air going up the chimney that you can... 
um, draw in more cold air into the room than what what's actually uh, being gained by the the flame and uh, any any warmth that's coming out of the chimney. So, in general terms, open fires a very bad idea in a modern house. What are a good idea though are solid fuel other solid fuel burners or um, log burners or uh, not so much pot bellies um, but uh, stoves and, and those sorts of things that have various names in different parts of the world but I'll, I'll essentially use the term log burner these have become uh, a little bit more sophisticated recently with particularly with um, advances like double double skin flues or even triple skin flues that draw air in some of them draw air in uh, from the from the chimney and, and pass air over the chimney first to preheat it before it goes into the the burning chamber, um, uh, and some have fans in to help push heat from the firebox out into the room. So various other things, but essentially it's a uh, similar to an open fire in that there's a space for logs or solid fuel to be burnt. But it's enclosed in a in a big metal box. Uh, these can be very efficient, particularly if they're if it's a freestanding fire. The advantage of a freestanding fire is that you get the uh, sides of the fire all exposed. You get a, again um, the surface area concept. You get a much bigger area for that heat to be transferred. Plus, you generally have an exposed flue for at least part of. Um, a bit part of the flue before it disappears up into the into the ceiling. So all of that area provides um, a nice big surface for heat to be transferred into the room. I think the key thing for uh, log burners is, is sustainability, and certainly if you have access to um, a sustainable source of firewood, particularly if it's grown locally then a log burner is definitely the most sustainable way of what actually it's the second most sustainable way of heating a house um the first being using the sun and and heating your home passively um but we'll we'll address that next time i think um log burners are are great and lots of people really really love them you can also uh, with a lot of options, uh, with a lot of models, you can have a um, a wetback system or a uh, a way of heating hot water. So a cylinder connection with um, with pipes that come in into the hot water cylinder, and some you can also cook on as well. So you can provide all your your cooking, what well, some of your cooking uh, space heating and and some of your hot water all in one. So some really good options there. Obviously. The downside is having to deal with firewood and setting the fire, uh, stacking, keeping firewood dry. Um, so that's a lifestyle choice, really, um, but certainly a very good option. And of course, the other issue is uh, can be around consenting because there are certainly parts in New Zealand, um, certain cities that won't allow log burners anymore if uh, there's not one existing. Uh, the final uh, room heater type that I wanted to, to briefly mention today was was gas heating. Now, gas heating uh, also comes in, in two main forms, flued and unflued. Bottom line on unflued is don't use them. Unflued gas heaters, uh, 
uh, well, in, in some states in Australia, you're not allowed to use them anyway. And uh, while they are still legal in New Zealand, it's kind of surprising that they are. Um, I've heard some people say that if you if you use a unflued gas heater, you may as well uh, park your car up reverse your car up to your lounge room with the exhaust poking into the uh, the tailpipe sticking into the lounge and just leave it running. The number of toxic gases that uh, are emitted, nitrogen oxides and um, carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide, uh, all sorts of nasties, is just incredible and, and too long to, to list. Um, so there are serious health hazards. Certainly, carbon, the carbon dioxide and carbon monoxide are um, one of the two of the key ones. I've heard some very um, nasty stories of people having one of these in their bedroom and, and essentially uh, passing out because of the carbon dioxide. Having a, a naked gas or having any uh, flame like that consumes oxygen and produces carbon dioxide. And that's a really bad combination for humans because you can allow the... Not only are you um, increasing the, the CO2 levels in the room, which makes you sleepy, you're also lowering the oxygen levels in the room, which will essentially kill you after a while if you uh, don't ventilate that space adequately. Um, so unflued gas heaters uh, are a big no-no. The other reason that unflued gas heaters are a big no-no is because of the moisture that they produce and anyone that has used one will know that they very quickly get wet windows or uh, even a, a feeling of humidity in the air and that's because uh, they can produce up to about one and a half litres per hour of, air, of, of water moisture uh, again, that's just a, a simply a side effect. Um, oh, sorry, a, uh, a, a, a what do you call it? A, a product of that combustion process. So natural gas, when it burns, produces it, it um, consumes oxygen and produces carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide, a whole bunch of other nasties, and water vapor. Now, water vapor is, is uh, a a bad thing if you're trying to heat because it makes the um, air much harder a damp air is much harder to heat than dry air um, but it's also really bad for your health and it's really bad for your house so essentially there's nothing good about unflued gas heaters I guess why they're attractive is because their price it's pretty easy to go and pick up a, a cheap or seemingly cheap gas heater off the shelf um, and potentially easy to get a gas cylinder to plug it into. But um, I strongly recommend avoiding them, and if you have them, uh, do what you can to get rid of them. Um, however, that's not to say that all gas heating is bad, because fluid gas heating can be very efficient, particularly um, some of the ultra-efficient modern uh, convection heaters. And these are ones that... Um, looks like a, a sort of a, a white or a beige box and they don't have a, a flame so they're not they're not relying on any radiant heat um, they're just using a, a small flame inside and again relying on a heat transfer process and, and a small fan to move air over that and, and move that air into the room they're the most efficient type the more um, glamorous or uh, attractive type can be the the flame uh, the, the gas flame 
Um, some are imitation fires or some are quite, I've seen quite modern glass fronted gas fires, uh, which are very, very aesthetic. These tend to not be as efficient. Um, some of them are very inefficient, in fact, but they do look nice and I can certainly see the appeal of uh, a gas fire from an aesthetic point of view, but also from a, a timing and an ease of operation. Most of them are push button um, controls and some even have remote controls and, and timers and those sorts of things. So that's pretty appealing. Um, the main thing, well, two main things to, to caution with regards to gas heating. One is cost, particularly if you don't have reticulated or piped gas to your home. Uh, the other is uh, where that gas comes from. And in most cases, natural gas is a uh, fossil fuel and um, resources of that are dwindling. It's, I think it's just good practice to try and steer clear of that. Uh, that's very circumstantial. In your specific situation, gas may be a better option than electricity. Uh, and that would be the case, for example, if, if there's a natural gas being produced um, somewhere and but your electricity is is being um is generally produced by brown coal uh, and i know that's the case in, in a lot of australia here in new zealand um our gas supplies are are dwindling uh, occasionally they find some more but essentially it is a, is a fossil fuel but our electricity is comes from more renewable sources so my preference in new zealand would be to err towards um a heat pump for the main heater and then um, small electric heaters for other rooms. So hey, I'm going to wrap it up there because I've, I've, I've just gone over the, the half hour mark. All we've done today is cover electric heat pump, solid fuel and gas heating. Um, so that was the, the, the main category of individual room heating. Next time I'd like to carry on this topic of heating and talk about um, reticulated heating or central heating, whole home heating. Really keen to get some questions, particularly if people are weighing up these options. Um, I'm happy to uh, discuss and, and give some ideas on, on how to assess the differences because really that's what it comes down to is looking at the individual situation and seeing what you want from your heater and um, then looking at the cost benefit of what you can afford right now and the payback and uh, and how you want to uh, to run it. So please do get in touch, comments at Homestyle Green. And I'm really um, keen for some uh, feedback, like I said, on uh, online and also on iTunes. And I'd really love it if you uh, could, could rate this podcast. And uh, the reason for that is that by rating the podcast, it, it helps other people uh, it helps me get noticed, helps the podcast get out there and, and that in turn helps you by increasing the, the size of our community and getting some more uh, people joining the conversation. That's enough for me from this week, so thank you very much. This is Matthew Cutler-Welsh for Homestyle Green. Homestyle Green.